Uh, welcome to the Vine Community Church. Some of you are here again. I don't. My name is Doug Servan. I'm not the pastor. I'm, I'm here because Treb and the team are in China. I'm a friend of Treb's. Let me introduce myself to you. I'm the pastor at City Presbyterian Church. We're a new church downtown. We just started about 15 months ago meeting. We meet in the First Methodist Church there right by the bombing memorial. We meet at 5 p.m. on Sunday nights. If you know anybody who lives down there or is looking for a night church, uh, that's when we meet. Uh, we, I've gotten to know Treb through moving up here. I, I lived in Norman for 10 years, did campus ministry down there, gotten to know him, love what y'all are doing. We are so for you, so for your church and what's happening right here on Western and across the city. We, we love you, and, and we want you to love us. Everybody needs some love, right? Um, I have four kids. My, my wife, we, she and I have been married 19 years, four kids, and um, went to Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, so that's a little bit about me. We are going to worship the Lord together. I know I'm on the clock because there's a game starting. I'm thinking of that as post-game to this, not this as pre-game to that, right? So apparently we've gathered the non-ticket holders together because they're, they're, they're already gone, right? Um, and so we'll, we'll look at the, the scripture, look at Jesus. You can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. There's some Bibles right around where you are. Luke chapter 7. And today we're going to look at a tough passage and we're going to talk about death. Some of you may have grown up in the church, you may or may not know this, but a few weeks ago we celebrated Easter. And Easter isn't just one day, it actually is a season in the church. It goes on until Pentecost, which comes up at the, the end of the month in early June. And, and these are the days after Easter when Jesus raised from the dead, when he was walking around and then he ascended into heaven. And so there's a season of Easter, so it's appropriate in that season to talk about death and resurrection, and that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at this tough passage about death, and I want to just tell you briefly of a story of a woman named Jackie Warrens Hans, and she had really one of the worst things that could ever happen. Her three daughters, aged eight, seven, and five, were killed in a car wreck, all instantaneously at the same moment. The driver of that car was their aunt, Jackie's sister-in-law, her husband's sister, and, and they all died. And you can imagine, like any mother, like any friend of yours who lost their children, that wrecked and ruined her life. She didn't want to go to a church that served a God that would take away her daughters. And she wrestled, and she struggled, and we can relate to tap into that grief and heartache, and, and I pray that that has not happened to any of you. But friends, we know people who things like that have happened to, don't we? And it's true in the midst of, of our church and in your church where there are friends who have lost children. Or maybe not even that far, friends who have lost loved ones and there's death and grief. We have someone whose 21-year-old son died in the last few months. Last night I was sitting in the parking lot with a woman who had taken a full bottle of pills. And maybe it's not that story, but we know and we grieve Sandy Hook, 
And in our own city, as we remembered the bomb and the children that were killed, and we think about the kids in cancer wards, and we grieve the, the unborn, and we wonder with Jackie, is God there? Did Jesus care about throwing away people like that, like them, like us? And this, this passage in Luke 7 speaks to that place, the very real place in Oklahoma City in 2013, in this church, in my church, in our friends. So, so we're going to turn and we're going to read and see what Jesus does as he ministers to someone who's lost a loved one in that place of death. It's Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. I'm going to read in the English Standard Version. You can follow along in your Bible. Hear now the word of God. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. And then he came up and he touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and he began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother, and fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Let's just pray briefly. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us in this passage, in this moment, in this room now, that your word would be living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And it would penetrate to our hearts that you would open our ears and open our eyes that we might see and believe you. Amen. Death is near. Death is coming. We are a people acquainted with it or soon will be. And here's a passage where Jesus enters in to that place. We're going to have two main points, just two organizing thoughts this morning. They're the sentences that Jesus speaks to just keep us organized. You can look, if you have a, a Bible, you could write down, do not weep. And then secondly, young man, I say to you, arise or just arise. Two sentences, two declarations that Jesus makes in this passage. Do not weep and arise. So let's look at those. If we look first about the situation where he gets to where he says to the woman, do not weep. You can see in verse 11, soon afterward he went to a crowd, he, Jesus, went to a crowd called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. So I want you to picture the situation. Jesus is this preacher who walks and he talks. He's this rabbi and he's got followers. He's got disciples. But not just these disciples, a bigger crowd, maybe a hundred people, because Luke says it was a great crowd went with him. So you can imagine the hot and dusty Palestinian desert. 
and, and people clamoring around Jesus to hear him and to jostle for position. And there was a great crowd following him. Got it? And then there's another crowd that Luke calls a considerable crowd. This is the funeral procession crowd. In verse 12, Luke says, a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So what you have is coming in a different direction out of the city of Nain, a funeral procession. This woman has lost her son. And and the way these funeral processions worked is they would actually hire professional mourners. Can you imagine that job? Because there wasn't enough weeping and wailing. There was not these stoic, silent mourners. It was massive and loud and wailing and weeping and a huge commotion and a, a considerable crowd, maybe 40, 50 people coming the other way. You see the intersection of these two crowds, these two situations, this, this commotion going on. And it's in the middle of that that we see this woman Luke describes her this way in the in the son behold a man who has died was being carried out this is the son the only son of his mother and she was a widow in a considerable crowd from the town with her so Luke describes this situation this woman is burying her only son and She has no husband. This is it for her. If you understand the context of the day and what Luke is really telling us is this woman has nothing. This is really, in essence, her last day. Remember in that culture, these women didn't take care of themselves. They didn't have professions. They didn't have jobs. And so they really relied on their husbands or on their fathers and then on their sons. They needed a lot of sons. She didn't have a husband. This was her only son. Friends, this was her last day. She was done. She was about to be thrown out, uncared for, unloved, unprovided for, desperate, dead, really dead. So, Jesus does something remarkable. You see in verse 13, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And you can start reading the scriptures, and I I hope you do, and I hope you are, that this is really super common with Jesus. Jesus sees people. He doesn't just notice people. It's not a general knowledge, but it's like he looks into their very eyes, into their very souls, and he sees them, and he sees everything about them. That's remarkable. In the midst of this commotion, in these crowds, he looks, and he looks right into her heart. He doesn't just look, but he cares. Jesus sees, and Jesus cares. The word there is compassion. And he had compassion on her. And and remember that Luke is writing this. And so he must have seen compassion in Jesus' eyes. You know, what does compassion look like? The the face, the tears. He didn't just have it. 
someone could tell that it impacted him in his heart. Jesus saw, Jesus cared, and then also Jesus helped. We're going to look at Jesus helping. It's really our second point. But Jesus saw, and Jesus cared, and Jesus helped. And so I want to ask you, as you think about these situations in, in our city, and on the street, and in these neighborhoods, and as a church, do you, as a church, as a people, see people, care for people, and help people? I think, I think that's a fair question as we go on this mission that we're on together, that we're not just gathering. We are gathering. We, we love to gather together for worship. But there are people out there, even in our midst, that need to be seen and cared for and helped, right? And as I've watched at your church and as I've talked with Trev and I've talked with others, I see that. That's awesome. That you guys really want to get in and get to know people and care for them and help them. That's one reason why you're, why you're having church at the park. what followers of Jesus do? Do you see people? Do you care? And then do you enter in to help? But, but I want to ask another question. As you think about the people that are grieving like we're talking about, or, or maybe just an example would be uh, Mother's Day is coming up, and we honor our mothers, and maybe we've been in churches where mothers are, are, are highly esteemed, and the whole service is about Mother's Day. I want, I want to remind you that there are women in our society, in our church, that wish they were mothers. They feel so left out on that day. They desperately long the thing they most want in the world, but they just can't make it happen. Or, or maybe they've been mothers and now aren't. And there's a deep hole that, that, that we would see them. So, so I want you to think about seeing others, but I also want you to think about where in your life, your life, do you need to be seen? And you need to be cared for. And, and you need to be helped. You see, it's not just for them out there, friends, and that's a, such a trick of Christianity and really ends up to be something that we forget, we, we go into. We forget it's not just for them out there, but it's for us in here, and there are places in our midst, in our own hearts, beautiful places in the suburbs, but places in just normal neighborhoods, places everywhere in every type of situation or school or, or job where you need Jesus to be there. And there's a place in your heart, I'm, I know it's true because you're a person, where there is death for you. Where you feel so alone and you feel so lost and you feel so dead and you feel like no one cares and this is an unredeemable place. This is a death place for you. It, it may be your job or, or it may be school, if the kids weren't here, I'd say, you know, bullied in school, or you, this teacher, and you just kind of bang away another whole year with this teacher, or this classmate, or maybe you have this friend that keeps doing this to you, or this boyfriend, or this spouse, or maybe it's nightly, or once a week on the computer, 2 or 3 a.m., and you 
you don't want anyone to know. It's a place of death. What I'm suggesting today is that place where you feel the most hopeless or helpless or lost or dead or thrown out is a place where Jesus can enter. You see, what I'm making the connection is it's not just people who have children who have died. It's for us and the death of the hopes that we have or all those represent where we feel these are unredeemable places. Could Jesus come to that place in the midst of the confusion and the chaos and the commotion? Would he see that? Jesus entered into the pain of this situation. And he went to her and he said, do not weep. He had a hope for something. And as we enter into others, that's probably not the best sentence. We're not, we're, we're not necessarily telling people because he had the hope of the resurrection. He knew what he was about to do. We should weep with them. It's, it's a weeping of entering and hoping that Jesus will make all things right at some point, at some day. Okay, I want to move on then. Heavy, whoa, heavy. Do not weep. Is Jesus entering into death and brokenness and pain? But, but he has something else. And that's the second sentence. Because he says, and young man, I say to you, arise. Jesus is about to heal this man, this woman's son. He is about to heal, and it's so awesome when we see Jesus heal, but I just want to make a little parenthesis, a little time out to say, remember, Jesus doesn't always heal. And remember that different situations where Jesus enters are different. And even in this passage, in Luke 7, just previous to the one that we we read, in verses 1 through 10, Jesus has a situation where someone comes up to him with someone who is about to die but has not died. And Jesus stops that death from happening. That, That sounds even more awesome, doesn't it? When we see that something's coming or we see this pain that's about to happen and we pray to Jesus and he keeps it from happening to us, that's what we want. Now, now this situation is second most awesome is we get a reversal. Jesus, though, allows death in this situation and he does that several times. And then there are other times when he doesn't heal at all. He's, he's still a person. He's not a formula. Okay? So, so he still has personality and enters in, and it sort of freaks us out. But he, he is really actively entering into this whole situation. So you've got to see that in this situation, he allows death to happen, and then he raises, raises this man from the dead. But, but in, in our situation, in our passage, this man is coming in this funeral procession, and he's not in a coffin. He's wrapped up in a shroud, in linen, on probably a board, pretty much. And he's being carried, and Jesus sees this woman, and he cares for her, and then he goes up to the man, the dead man, and he he does something. What does he do? He touches the beer, the plank, the person, 
And so he goes up and he touches the dead body, which if you'd have been there, you'd gone, no. You, you would never think that Jesus would do that. This is absolutely unacceptable. It's unacceptable medically and really still true. You know, don't touch dead bodies. We don't do that. You see something, you're like, whoa, let the professionals handle it. Stay away. But also socially, religiously, this was a huge religious no-no. Because uh, this man, this dead body, is considered unclean. It's dead. And anytime you touch something dead, you become dead. If there's something unclean and you touch it, what happens to you? You get the unclean. If something's germy and you touch it, you get the germs. It doesn't go the other way, right? You don't give the germy thing cleanness. And so when Jesus is doing this, what's, what, what is, everyone is thinking is, what in the world is happening? Who is this guy? And, and the other thing that they're thinking is, dude, Jesus, you just ruined your whole ministry. You're, you're, you are out. You're going to have to take this massive time out, at least for a month, maybe a year. You've just taken yourself completely out of the game for all the things, all the good things that are going on are over for you. So it is incredibly dramatic when Jesus goes into death and instead of talking about it or talking platitudes or, you know, fixing it somehow or creating a new structure, he actually enters in and touches death. And then what's, I think, an amazing verse is in verse 15. Luke, the, the doctor, writes, and the dead man sat up and began to speak. The dead man sat up. What? So, so this prophet, this rabbi, this teacher went and touched this body. The dead body sat up and started talking. People must have completely flipped out. I'm flipping out, so we're just thinking about it. How did dead men set up and begin to speak? Well, so what happened is there was a collision that day of life and death. At some point, there had been a collision the other way where death had robbed life, right? I don't know how soon that, uh, before this, this, that was. And now here on this day, there is another collision, but life is robbing death of death. Death is being unturned. There's a reunification of this man, of his soul, and his body back together. That's why he's sitting up to speak. His soul and his body have, whoom, come back. There's a reunification of this son to his mother. And, and just imagine all that means to her. She has life again, hope again, relationship again. There is a reunification then that is happening that is awesome. And, and this day speaks of a resurrection because it is a resurrection. It's a resurrection day here in our text. And it, it is telling us that death is terrible and we hate death. And Jesus stands against death and we can agree with that. But that hope is big. Hope is big, friends. 
death is real, and we can speak to it, and we can acknowledge it, but hope is real. And, and there was a, a, a fear that seized the people when they saw this, the awesomeness, and they glorified God, and they said, a great prophet has arisen among us, and they were right. And then they called Jesus, God has visited his people. We, we sang about that, that word, God has visited his people. That's the word Emmanuel. God is with us. And we talk about the word Emmanuel, we're really talking about Christmas. That Christmas is the place where we talk the most often, the most particularly about Emmanuel, how God came and he was present as a person amongst his people. So, so really this is a Christmas message, but it's also an Easter message, isn't it? It's an Easter text, it's an Easter, Easter sermon, because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That he is bringing life in the midst of death, because he is life. And so that transfer didn't go the correct way or the normal way. But when the resurrection and the life touched death, death was undone. It's like Jesus stood and he said, none shall pass. And death came and ran him over so that this man could live. And he and his mother could have hope and be reunified that day. And that is good news for us that Jesus took death into himself, into his own body, that he died so that we could be right with him and love him and have life and death and hope and glory. I want to close with a a story, another story um, of this woman. And it's hard to tell stories of resurrection. I don't have tons of people that got resurrected. So you got to, you know, make the leap with me a little bit here. Preacher story time. So make the connection. There's a woman, and her name is Diane Van Duren. Diane Van Duren grew up as an athlete, but she had this seizure thing in her head that, that, that didn't really... Uh, manifest itself until after she was married, she had three kids. And, and these seizures, this epileptic grand mal seizures, I don't know if any of you have had them or known people, it, they just wiped her out completely. Death terrifying seizures. So she had to teach her kids how to drive when they were five because if mommy has a seizure while she's driving, someone's got to take the wheel. She couldn't take a bath by herself because she could die in the bathtub. And it was just frightening and terrible that everyone, they went to tons of doctors. No one ever could do anything to help her. It, it basically wrecked and ruined her life. She had no hope. One day, she was walking her dog home. And she was about five miles from home. And she felt a seizure coming on. She had had enough to know when they felt like they were coming this sort of haze and clouds started. And so she didn't want to have this seizure because they could go on for hours on the side of the road, five miles from her house. So she started running home. Makes sense, right? She, she ran home. And as she ran home, she was still athletic and, you know, fit. She ran home and she never had it. It, it didn't come. Hmm. So 
when she started to feel a seizure come on, she took off running. Well, it worked. Except sort of the, you know, you got to think about the social situations. She's got a pair of shoes in her bag at all times. She's at a cocktail party in her cocktail dress. Seizure coming on, poot, throw the high heels out, put on the shoes, and she starts running, and she'll run for four hours. As long as it takes, anything's better than a seizure. And so she starts running and running and running for her life, like literally for her life. But any, did, some of you may have ran that, that marathon last week. Is running, like, restorative? I mean, yes and no, right? It's saving her life, but she's dying. Run four or five hours, you're, you're toast. So as she's killing herself, in a sense, as she's beating her body, as she's losing, she's winning. Well, she starts to run these marathons, and she starts to run these long races. Oh, I forgot some. She, she uh, st- sort of cycled back around in her doctors, and they figured out, because some things were now really more healthy in her life, that she needed to take out a part of her brain. Okay, so she went under this brain surgery. She's 35, 40 years old, and she has brain surgery, which, again, is a picture of dying. She goes under the knife, she goes to sleep, they take out part of her brain so she can live, okay? So, so she gets out of surgery, and all she wants to do is run. She just starts running like crazy. She'll run, she'll do two marathons a day, crazy. She starts running 100-mile races. 100-mile races, that takes 32 hours or something like this. And she's winning them. There's no one as driven as her. There's no one with as much stamina as her. And so she starts to get a reputation, and then she lets out that she has this epilepsy thing, which is concerning for everyone, right? She could die on the race, but that's actually the thing that's saving her. She she got asked to come speak to a camp of kids that have epilepsy, And, and she's speaking at this camp, and she's sort of feeling like, Her career in running is winding down. It's sort of taking its toll. She's tired of it. She's, you know, just can't do this forever. It takes too much time. And so she's talking to these kids about how they can do anything in their life with help, with change, you know, with modification. And and, and a little girl raises her hand and said, Miss Van Duren, I've got epilepsy and I've got cerebral palsy. I can't run, and and no one thinks I can do anything. Will you run your next race for me? And all the kids said, yeah, yeah, run it for us. Run it for us. And Diane writes that she, she knew at that day, she said this, my life is not my own. And she started running, not for her, not even to make herself healthy, although it did, she started to run for other people. And and she started running farther and farther, like 300-mile races. She ran a race that is called the Yukon 430, 430 miles on the Arctic Circle, y'all. This is like crazy insanity stuff. Because she was giving her life for those who couldn't save 
themselves. Now, Diane couldn't outrun death, right? She can't outrun death. And this man someday will die again, just like Lazarus, when he was raised from the dead, will someday die again. So it's only a picture. It's a picture of the hope that Jesus brings. It's a picture of the hope, how Jesus goes in and listens and sees and cares for that girl, for the situations of your friends and your family and your neighbors and you, not just for them, but for you. And that he goes into those places of death and suffering to bring life. He touches that death and says, there is resurrection hope for you. I am Emmanuel. I am with you because he gives his life and takes your death. Friends, visitors, brothers and sisters, outsiders, doubters, the gospel is for you. It's the good news of hope that you need and I need, they need in China, and they need right here on Western. The hope that Jesus brings. Let's pray.